to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. Um, You may, if you're watching this, you're going to see, of course, we're still in different surroundings in the midst of a move. That's maybe why some of the podcasts aren't coming as regularly as they have been, but that'll be corrected. Hopefully by the fall, we'll be back to normal schedule. Um, I say that as well of having shaved. So you probably think I might be someone completely different, but it's still me. Uh, You can tell by my droll, boring questions of the guests. So in that vein, here we are. Uh, Welcome back. We are, I'm excited to have, I feel like anytime I have a guest who is a friend of a friend and someone is just like, you've got to meet this guy, you've got to have some conversation. It always ends up being like my favorite. Um, so I'm excited because a friend said, I need you to meet a friend and you should have a podcast with him. And I agreed. So uh, Michael Ware, thank you so much for joining me uh, today on Everyday Theology. Really good to be with you. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'm going to have to apologize to everyone as well that this can be shorter because we spent so much time just chatting. Um, we're going to have less time for the podcast. So we're going to have to really like pack it in and quick. Um, for my listeners, just a little bit about Michael. He is the founder, president, and CEO of the Center for Christianity and Public Life, which is a nonpartisan, nonprofit institution based in the nation's capital with the mission to contend for the credibility of Christian resources and public life for the public good. Uh, Michael has worked in the White House. He's worked as a presidential campaign staffer. He's done a ton, but we are here to talk about his book that was just released in January called The Spirit of Our Politics, Spiritual Formation and the Renovation of Public Life, uh, available all over, anywhere you can get books. Michael, again, thanks for being here. Maybe take a minute to just introduce yourself, whatever you want to say, family life, how you got to where you are, anything in your background that might help with our conversation today. No, man, we need to save time. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm uh, 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 yeah, I, I am the author of this new book, The Spirit of Our Politics, and um, run the Center for Christianity and Public Life, which is new. We're just getting our our, our, our feet under us. We've been operating since late 2022, and, and folks can learn more about the center at ccpubliclife.org. Perfect. Um, yeah, so let us let us dive in, right? Because I read the book, really enjoyed it. You know, it's clear how much Dallas Willard has influenced the way that you think about not just politics, but just life in general and, and what it means to be a Christian in public life, um, which is kind of a missed... Thing. You know, I think of people like Willard and Peterson and Foster, this kind of like generation of people who really thought differently than we did. And it and it's we need a resurgence and, yeah. and their voices, at least my opinion. Right. Um, so what drew you? I mean, you've been in the nation's capital. You've been in D.C. You've been working in D.C. for a long time. What drew you to say we really need this book, especially in light of, you know, the Tim Alberta books coming out and uh, uh, losing our religion. I don't know what Russell Moore. Russell Moore, right? The, the Alberta and Moore and so many people who are writing like something is broken. 
in the church in relation to politics and we've got to fix it. What kind of made you go, yeah, something is broken. And I think I've got something to say about how we can fix it. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, part of it is just, I'm, I'm 35 years old and, um, uh, I think we, um, I am not content with, uh, critiquing what, what has been though that's necessary. Uh, but as I like travel to, I know you spend a lot of time on Christian college campuses and as I meet with all kinds of people, not just young people, but all kinds of people. The, 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 the question is not just how did we get here, but where, where do we go from here? What, what, what right. Do we right. Um, and I think for too long, uh, politics has been this area of life that has been sort of cordoned off into biblical worldview and um, though though i think um i've benefited from sort of the worldview movement and i think there are better um you know better instantiations of it i i think the, the what what is the the popularized sort of impact of 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 that has been that what it means to be a christian in politics is they have the right position on a limited set of issues mm. um and in such a way that politics gets cordoned off from the actual life we're living yeah and, and so I, I wrote this book uh, to hopefully empower christians uh uh with confidence that the way of Jesus is up to the task of our public life and to uh, help spur Christians to place politics not above the gospel or outside and irrelevant to the gospel, but within and under the gospel as part of the life we're living with Jesus. And so so that's a book. Willard, um, Willard plays such a big role because he's played such a big role in, in my life. I mean, first and foremost, he's he's played a, um, his work has deeply influenced me. My first meeting at the White House uh, was with uh, someone, uh, Gary Haugen, who's the CEO of International Justice Mission. And, and hmm. following that meeting, Gary sent a book, a book um, uh, that sat on my bookshelf for three, six months. Uh, until I finally picked it up and read it, and it was the Divine Conspiracy, and it was like a wow, yeah. spiritual awakening in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there, there's so much to appreciate about Willard. Um, his commitment to reality, his commitment to um, a, a, a faith that that um, that was not about. Uh, mere beliefs, but about knowledge uh, has been really important to me in my life. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's an, it's interesting because, you know, to, to talk about, I only want to whet people's appetite for the book because they need to go buy it. It's worth a read or a listen or both. Like I did somehow buying it both and then listening to it on Spotify. So, you know, double whammy there. Right. 
I don't um, I don't want to out you here, but uh, off air you did refer to my voice as sultry, so that might be a good. I good did sell, good sell for the audiobook. You know, and and I don't know if I should say this now or not, but there are a couple of times where I feel like you, the way that you speak, actually emulates a certain past president, but not a very close past president. <laughs> My, my my wife makes fun of me all the time for this, but yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, so yeah. so okay, good. It wasn't just me. Okay, I just and I'm not referring yes. to 45. Just so we're yeah, clear yeah. for everyone. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that would be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would be totally anathema towards the book, right? Like, uh, yeah, no, I I I think it was really maybe explain to people that that space of like. Not not your, not the tone of your voice and how you speak, but explain like how this book, as I see it, as you try to talk about it, is nothing at all about here's how you should vote, here's yeah. the right group to vote for or the right person, but rather a framework of being in light of politics, right? Yes. So yeah, I, I think this is uh, first and foremost a spiritual formation book and it's been out for a month now. And um, I think people have been sort of pleased, but also like surprised to, 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 to find that um, because um, unfortunately the spiritual formation sort of movement or idea contrary to what spiritual formation is. I think when people think of spiritual formation, they think of like, Oh, that's what I do on retreat. You right. Know, that's, right. That's like, yeah, I, um, I, I, once a year I go to a cabin and do my spiritual <laughs> formation. Um, yeah. and no sp spiritual formation. Everyone has one. Uh, it's not something you, you can avoid spiritual formation refers in a, in a totally sort of general sense, um, to, uh, that process of your, character taking on a, a definite shape christian spiritual formation is centered on and directed towards and entirely about jesus christ we, we are seeking to learn from jesus how to live our life as jesus would live it if he were us um this is um colossians 3 this is um, for you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of the knowledge of its creator. Um, mm. And so um, that is for all of life. And so importantly, I think if people approach this book or more importantly, if people approach um their 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 life as um in a totally transactional way so so how do i get what i need from politics as yeah. opposed to first asking a question of what is my vision what is my vision of what god's life is like hmm. what what is my vision of what um of of what the kingdom is what is eternal life that Jesus offers? And when does it start? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dallas, Dallas said, you know, eternity is now in session. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, unless we sort of, as, as, as Christians, unless we have that right, or, or um, it is out of the foundation of those answers, that then we can step into politics as an area of application and as an essential, but not the most important, but an essential area of life. And then ask, okay, what does Jesus have for me here? Yeah. How do I place my, my political involvement and the way I interact with politics under the jurisdiction of his will, under the jurisdiction of, of, of love, of willing the good of uh, my neighbors. Um, yeah. But that's, that's what the book addresses. Yeah. I think it's fundamentally right. I mean, my training is in theology and, and uh, I was on a podcast not too long ago where basically the question was posed to me, you know, guns, right? Right. Yeah, Can yeah. Christians have it or not have it? Yeah. Like, is it right or, or is it not? And, yeah. you know, the answer, I think, surprised the person because it was a different framework of asking the question where I said, you've asked a, a question in light of public law, right? A public space, like that's that question. The different question for, for us is to ask, what is the kingdom of God and how do we participate it? participate in it today as it will be upon its completion. And that's a different question because that asks me to have a completely different starting point. I don't care about the public space to start. I think it's important, right? We, we care most about what does this mean here and how does it then shape and I think that changes the answers for some of the biggest issues that we deal with or potentially even the way that we vote because it's no longer maybe, I mean, I'm 35 as well. So we're in a fun club together, right? Yeah. Grew up in the nineties, probably in similar veins. I don't want to you know say that, but you know, in similar veins of there was a very clear connection with the, the religious right and the moral majority as much as it had maybe disbanded its influence still existed where all we were ever told was you vote one way because of one thing and that's the only thing that you can do as a moral vote yeah. and i think going to going to college getting an education and starting to process that it just said this doesn't make sense this yeah. doesn't fit the framework particularly those who think about things like discipleship and and following in the way of Christ as yeah. a way of being versus a thing of doing right yes yeah. yeah. um i i think that we have um it is it is not a coincidence that uh uh theology that suggests that Christianity is primarily about having the right answers to a limited set of, of doctrinal questions um, uh, might have some correlation with a, a Christian politics in which what it means to be a Christian in politics right. is to have the right answers to a limited set of policy questions. And it doesn't matter. You, you could advance those positions in the most destructive, malicious, anti-social way. Right. But no one can say anything about it because what it means to have a Christian politics has nothing to do with that. It has to do with being able to nod your head yes when you're supposed to say yes and nod it right. no when you're supposed to say no. Um, and and 
uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think there are reasons why it's like that, and it has a lot to do with what's convenient for political actors, <laughs> um, right? But, uh, but, right. but yes, we have we have we have a different um, we 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 answer a, a different call. And to be clear, and you know, we talked for a great deal of time before this. When I say you know we answer a different call, it's just so important to emphasize. Um, uh, the the determinant of faithfulness in politics is not who did you vote for right um is not what party do you belong to and and i think you know these questions are getting i mean you referenced sort of what we grew up in uh and i think that's right and it's part of why i'm i'm sensitive to it because i think we're in a period now where I think you have a growing, you have a growing cohort of people who say, um, uh, you can't be a Christian and be a Republican, right, right, right. which is mind blowing from you know right, yeah. and um, I, I spend unfortunately like a lot of my time, quite like ironically historically but consistently sort of theologically and conceptually uh, saying no that's not that's not how this works the, right. there there are many 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 faithful uh republicans there there are people who are going to vote for uh the candidate you oppose who are just as faithful as you are um yeah. right I, now i want to go back to the gun the gun issue i, I think this is fascinating so in the wake of the shooting in Las Vegas, um, there was a mass shooting in Las Vegas maybe five, six years ago. Um, my pastor preached um, a service of lament, mm. and during during that that sermon, he um, pointed to Barna data, and Barna basically Barna the Christian Research Group. Right. Barna um, asked a two-part question, and I'm paraphrasing here. The numbers, you know, it, it's been a long time since this came out, but 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 the 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 the, the basic gist is 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 factual. The 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 first question is basically something like, um, would would you use violence to protect your family or property if there if if it was being attacked or if there was a, you know, a, 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 a thief or a, yeah. Um, and right. This, this question of like self-defense or defense, you know, the use of violence to defend others. That's like a age old Christian question, right. like right. very good arguments on, on both sides. And I almost don't care what the, kind of to your point, like I kind of don't, care what the what the specific answer is at least not in this context but like 70 75 percent said yes i would i i would use violence and 25 percent said no that's fine okay second question is basically do you think jesus would agree with you oh and the the numbers completely flip so like uh. only a quarter said jesus would agree with my position pastorally that's where i zero in right which is 
I could imagine, like there are, again, millennia of argument around this. I think that there are, I, I'm like hesitant to categorically say there is one theologically yes or no sort right. of correct answer to that. What I want to dial in on, and this comes up in our politics all of the time, is what do you think is necessary? What do you think is best for you that you think is contrary to the will of mm. God? Yeah. And it's at those points where, yes, there are all kinds of public social ramifications for that, but it's at those points that discipleship is made impossible that discipleship is made incoherent and so yeah. how many times in our political life you know is is this look i know jesus calls us to love our enemies but if we try and do that in politics we'll get run over and so right i'll try and love my enemies in my personal life but in that's not you know that's really not what politics is for right um, then you get into really difficult difficult territory that again has public implications but we need to contend with the fact that that um that kind of logic does not stay quarantined to the to our political self right there is right. no political you there's just you and so if yeah. there's an area of your life in which you say um if you are the kind of person who would lie in politics to get your way then you are the kind of person who would lie to get your way Right. Um, so, uh, so those are the kinds of questions I'm, I'm, I'm getting at in, in addressing. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Cause I've recently been seeing this meme circling around, right. Of two people sitting on the couch and the devil's on the TV and, you know, the guy's looking over to his wife or whoever and say, well, he might be the devil, but at least he says the things that we need to hear and tells us what we should do. And And it's a political meme, right. To kind of say like, we've gotten into this weird break of self that we can pretend to have this political life that is separate from our Christian life. And we don't really want them to meet other than using our Christian life to say, this is what needs to happen over here. That's but right. This isn't going to inform me. So it's okay. Right. Yes. Um, I think in your point and in your book, you make up a really good point. And, and again, potentially it just, it feels like, you know, in, in the, ages that we are and kind of the things that we've seen and grown up with and sometimes a bifurcation between what's taught in churches and then what's shown in public life, particularly political life. Yeah. Um, you know, the use of fear and anger that yeah. you talk a lot about in the book seems so antithetical to the work of Christ within the world as into this is how we engage with our enemy. We don't use fear. We don't use anger. We don't use these things. And yet any ad you see, any fundraising thing that you get, they only use two things, fear and anger, right? Yeah. There's never a look at how good this is happening because we're doing this. Right. Yeah, right, and if that yeah, does yeah. happen, all you get is fear and anger pointed at you to kind of go, "No, it's not." And here's, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. So, how do we overcome, especially as Christians within our political life, that is integrated in all of who we are? How do we both? This is kind of a, almost a Willard question, I guess. Right? How do we? How do we see when that's happening? See when we're actually engaging with that, and how do we, even in our own spiritual life, kind of? resist and push back and go 
I see this happening and here's how I need to push back against the use of these things that, that are actually controlling Christians. I mean, that, that fear language, that anger language is being used to control a group. And yeah. unfortunately, we're that group. Yeah. And, um, you know, Willard thought that a primary part of the Christian vo- uh, aspect of the Christian vocation is gentle non-compliance with evil, hmm. a gentle non-cooperation with evil. Um, this idea of the cultivation of anger is a profound one. Uh, Willard did some excellent work on this, and and I write about it in the in the book. I also raised the work of Howard Thurman, uh, and I think. In Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited, he has maybe like an eight-page section, maybe it's a <laughs> bit longer, but an eight-page section on on hate. And I think I think this section on hate is um, so instructive as to the kind of logic that our politics is operating mm-hmm. on. Uh, ha- hatred or sort of cultivated anger. Um, has a creative capacity that can feel empowering, but uh, it um, we think that we can use anger to achieve our purposes, but anger always, always, always ends up using us. Mm. There is yeah. no there was there is no one who is more easy to be mi- to be misdirected than an angry person yeah you have to right. point them in the direction of what to blame for their the violation of their will that took place and and they will go running in that direction um and so part of it is we we, we need to we need to ask whether we um, whether we really believe Jesus and the testimony of Scripture is—is is there a call for us to be slow to anger because it's—it's a—it's a burdensome. It's the burdensome right. of trade right. it, for which we get eternal salvation. Yeah, is, is that what discipleship is? Which is like the the, the this—is that what the fruit of the spirit is? Well. You know, we got to try to be gentle because that's like kind of the agreement that we sign up to. Uh, at yeah. least we have to gesture towards gentleness and love and joy when it's convenient to us because right. that's that's like the trade we made. As opposed to taking seriously the testimony of scripture and the saints that, that actually... A person who has cultivated anger in their hearts is not someone who is thriving. Yeah, like um, right. The 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 kind of um, uh, the the danger of uh, our a politics of anger is that we we may find ourselves becoming angry people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That like right. the character of our hearts may may be that of of anger, and so 
like we we just need to um we 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 need to come to terms with um where we find our security right we have to come to terms with um what what is knowledge that counts mm. so right another aspect of this is um all you know this is the most important election of our lifetime if 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 we don't win this political battle then the country will be lost sort of all of this kind of rhetoric that is taking seriously a form of knowledge a form mm. of, sort of political and and policy prognosis um but but it uh, it is Is Jesus's testimony that man uh, lives not on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God? Is that mm. a nice statement that maybe you put up on a plaque in your living room? <laughs> right. Or is that knowledge? Is that publicly available knowledge that that is a reality that is available to us? Yeah. Um, and, and so all of this to say, Aaron, and and this is why I love your 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 podcast, the work you do. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, consternation now that, oh, you know, um, the 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 reason why we have, you know, um, the problem with Christianity and politics is that we just have all these Christians who are taking their faith too seriously. And if they just lighten up and realize we live in a pluralistic society and they need to like not believe their believe in Christianity like so much, then we'd be better off. And I yeah. think that's like the, exactly the wrong, the wrong, right. the wrong. The, the, no, the problem is not that we're taking Christianity too seriously. The problem is not, the problem is not that um, uh, uh, we're too Christian. It's that we're not Christian enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. um, uh, We've not taken seriously the life of Christ. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's too easy to skip the gospels. Right. And, and there's so much to be said there to to your point, right, uh, on knowledge and, and knowledge as the, kind of the password, the passcode into to heaven or to some kind of afterlife, uh, which actually my whole Ph.D. is pushing back against mechanistic non. Um, God, now I've forgotten. Right. After I finished it, I'm like, I don't remember yeah, yeah, yeah. that because because I'm actually working on it as oh, a book. It sounds out. great, though. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, non-competitive non-mechanistic kind of understanding of what we talk about when faith and beliefs and the the problem is we skip past the life of christ head straight towards idea of atonement and then then that gives us the past to go i don't have to worry about the beginning bits of jesus life because all i ever had to do was worry about the end bit and and all this stuff in the middle about how then should we live and what does it mean and and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom and how perfect love cast out all fear and all these kind of things that are important for us or even simple statements yeah post christ but still important simple statements that you can't say that you love god and hate your brother right yeah. all of that really doesn't matter because i've gotten the the passphrase that's I've, right i've and and what bugs me i think as a as a 80s 90s christian was that i was told i couldn't read harry potter because there were magic spells right 
I don't, I don't know if you had that same experience, right? But uh, focus on the family was no, no, no. Harry yeah. Potter will teach you to be a devil worshiper. Yeah. Um, and, and yet we treat so very often the work of scripture and the work of Christ as magic spells. Just yeah. say this phrase and you're okay, right? Just repeat after me and it all is fine. And I go, that's nothing more than a spell book for Christians if that's the way that we take what these words are and we're not actually engaging in the life of christ and what is this how does this shape me not what does it do for me as a utilitarian object right yeah. right i i discuss this in the book as the fixer gospel um, yeah exactly uh, which is uh you, you know if you watch sort of like uh gangster movies or there there's a there's a fixer that is typically is not the protagonist they're right. the person who gets called in to take care of the problem, which is like blood on the carpet. There's a dead body that needs to get disposed of. And the whole job of the fixer is to come in, take care of the problem. And then there's typically a line in these movies where the protagonist says, you know, I don't need to know how it gets done. You just take care of it. And then I don't want to hear from you again. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, uh, no, that, that that is very that is very much sort of Jesus as eschatological widget, sort of yeah, just right. Place him there. He takes care of the sin problem. John Ortberg called this the gospel of the 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 minimal minimal entrance requirements to heaven. And of course, like the problem is, is that you won't find you you won't find that vision of the gospel in Scripture, um, which is not to say we're we're justified by faith. Uh, 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 the wages of sin are death. But this idea that so long as you nod your head yes when presented with the correct theory of atonement, right? That, that is now um, that is the pinnacle of the Christian life. Yeah, um, is is uh, is is um, again God has used that in remarkable ways, and God can use a lot of things that are not perfect like you and me um, right but it's not the gospel <laughs> and and perhaps our desire to try to boil down the gospel to a phrase or to a, a simple idea has been the very reason why we've forgotten that the gospel is not one section of one text of one book but rather it is it is the work of god found throughout scripture yes. not just one section even though one is pivotal in that that little beginning part of the New Testament, right? That we need to focus more on, right? Yeah. Man, um, I want to talk more about that. I know you have a hard stop, so I have to ask the most important question. Well, because because I did want to kind of briefly say, you know, the, the hard part about this is so many people think, well, I am living faithfully in my in my uh, way of of doing politics or thinking about politics or being a one issue voter or whatever it is, and I yeah. don't think I don't think what we're saying or what you're saying in the book is like. No, that's not. It's the character and the attitude of people amidst the way in which we're expressing ourselves in politics has gone awry. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Yes. What are you going to politics for? Um, and there are multiple faithful, you know, politics. I I, I discuss in the book politics is the realm of the penultimate, not ultimate. It yeah. is about the prudential, not the dogmatic. Right. Uh, 
the safest place for Christians to engage in politics is not with their feet planted in politics, but with their feet planted in the gospel. Mm. And with that, all kinds of opportunities open up. And so, so yeah, this, this, the spirit of our politics is not about, um, uh, uh, here is here is the Christian political platform. I actually think that model has done quite a quite a bit of damage. Yeah. The 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 the, the question is, um, is is there is there a, a a line of of logic, a line of faithful logic between um, who God is, your 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 the life you're living with Jesus, and how you show up. In, in politics. And that can mean yeah. everything from an elected official to what happens to you and in you when politics comes up around the dinner table yeah. or the Thanksgiving table. Yeah. And, and that is a part of your life um, that yep. can't be discarded or sort of pushed to the side um, uh, and treated as arbitrary. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, fundamentalism, whether it's political fundamentalism or Christian fundamentalism, Fundamentalism will always be used against fundamentalism. And so all we ever do is kind of keep creating these larger uh, partisanships, whether it's in Christianity yes. or in public life, because we keep using the same framework of fundamentalism, thinking it's going to fix something. And all it does is it's used against each other. It's yeah. not a it's not a uh, one sided issue. It's if you use it, you use it. And here's the divide it creates could go on to that but i do have to ask the one the most important question because we're out of time so here's the most important question who should we vote for as 35 year old white guys <laughs> uh that is not uh mine to answer certainly ah, dang it certainly not in this podcast uh, but there are good questions that you can ask that can help you discern that uh and uh uh i I offer those in the book, so buy the book. No, uh, but but I do. I just I need to know which geriatric old white guy I've got to vote for, and I don't know. No, I'm just <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to choose. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Um, hey. Michael, thank you so much to my audience. Sorry, I short shrifted you because I just was having a too good of a conversation with Michael. Uh, hopefully, we can have you back sometime in the future, and we'll we'll uh, correct my my mistake at the beginning there. Hey, thanks so much, Aaron. Great to be with you.